Welcome to episode 222 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast. This show was recorded on Sunday, 28th of July, 2019. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA, where you'll always find a great selection of products at amazing prices with unparalleled customer service. For more information, just go to jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at www.thefredcast.com. I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. For show notes, links, and all sorts of other information, please visit our website at www.the-spokesmen.com. And now, here are the spokesmen. Hi there, I'm Carlton Reed, and I'm glad to report that for today's episode, a Tour de France special, we've dragged out of storage the round table part of this podcast. We've got a newbie guest on the show today as we say hi to Joe Robinson, a writer on Cyclist magazine. Show regular attorney Jim Moss joins us from Denver, Colorado a few minutes after we started, and we also have Casper Hughes of Rollapalooza and the Stop Killing Cyclists campaign group. We talk NBC Sports, Lance Armstrong's rehabilitation as a Tour de France pundit, capping of team budgets, and the awful typography that is the Team Ineos logo. Well, Ineos in general, never mind Team Ineos. Uh, we also chat about the freaky weather at the Tour, the heat as well as the snowstorms in July, and whether 22-year-old Colombian phenom Eagle Bernal could go on to win another, well, 10 tours. For that, he'd need some epic and high mountain stages. But as we also discuss, climate change may mean that future Tour de France stages could look very different in the near future. And it is nearly time for the Tour de France finale, the, the last day of the Tour de France. It's actually another evening kickoff, as it were, for, for Egan Bernal to, to see if he does keep that yellow jersey, which 99.9% of, of every final stage, you've, you're going to keep that final jersey. Uh, but I'm going to come to today's guests and we're going to discuss what's been a pretty much a pretty boring Tour de France. Joe, Joe, has this been the most boring Tour de France for the least... 20 years? Uh, it's been a perfect three weeks to get some naps in during the day, put it that way. So, Joe, where, you haven't been on the show before. My next guest who's no. laughing there has been on the show before. But, Joe, where have you come from? Why have we gotten you on the show today? Um, so, I'm Joe Robinson. I'm one of the writers for Cyclist magazine uh, in the UK and the, the website which, there as well. Which is a fabulous magazine. So, what, what kind of articles much. do you write, Joe? Uh, so everything from lots of travel pieces for the magazine um, about riding abroad in, in Europe and around the world or professional cycling articles uh, about the Tour de France on our website. So it's quite a, a wide ranging uh, uh, sort of brand now with the Internet. So, so Jim is actually joining us here from from America, uh, which I was going to just uh, point out there that uh, to American uh, listeners of this show, that you are an award-winning website, Joe. I mean, a magazine. You like we are, we are, we are. You like top mag. We are, we are an award-winning magazine, best magazine. I think we won the magazine of the year two years on the trot a couple of years ago. Um, 
we are, I think, still the highest circulating magazine worldwide for cycling. Um, and we also have editions in France, Turkey, um, Italy, uh, around the world. So, yeah, very, very cool. So I would have to stop you there and just say that that'd be pretty tough because mags like uh, bicycling are like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands mm. of subscribers. So it's uh, you'd be tough to get it to bicycling. Um, we'll, we'll get on to your, your cycling prowess in a minute. First of all, before I bring in Casper, I'm going to try and bring in Jim. Jim, are you there? I'm here. Can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you because normally we do microphone setups beforehand. We haven't been able to do that with you. So I just hope you're golden as per last time, Jim. Uh, should be. Uh... <laughs> yeah. Jim, I'm going to tell you who we've got on the show here because you didn't come on the, uh, the, 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 the preamble. So we introduced uh, Joe, who's a psych. Did you hear Joe's intro there, Jim? Yes, he's got a magazine that's so good, it's even in Turkey. <laughs> Excellent, perfect. Uh, Joe, Jim is a US attorney, so you can say hi to him. But I will now bring in, I'll bring in uh, Jim completely in a second. But for right now, Casper, Casper, you have been on the show before, but that doesn't mean to say oh, you can't yeah. introduce yourself again. So, so tell us exactly where you're, where you've come from. So I, I, um, I started a roller racing company uh, 12 years ago. It was a cycle career, started a roller racing company, and um, uh, with that company pretty much reintroduced roller racing to, the, uh, to, the, to, to, to Europe, basically, uh, having had hundreds of thousands of races, probably, probably 100,000 races or so in the last decade or, or thereabouts, 12 years we've been going. Um, it's going to come to an end fairly soon. And um, the other thing that I do is a, quite a bit of um, active transport project management and a little bit of consultancy. And um, I'm an active transport uh, uh, activist and, and increasingly climate activist as well. So that's Stop Killing Cyclists and Extinction Rebellion, I presume. That's Stop Killing Cyclists and Extinction Rebellion, exactly, yep. yes. Yep. Okay. Uh, Jim, uh, you've come on the show a couple of minutes after we started. I think you've heard pretty much everything. I kind of saw your little uh, waveform come up there. So I'm assuming you're in Colorado. You're not somewhere exotic at the moment. You're, apart from Colorado is exotic, of course, but you're not. You're in your home state, yes? I'm home in Colorado, right. right. Perfect. And maybe you heard uh, when I was, was introducing Joe to say – it's kind of a boring uh, tour this year. Would you agree, Jim? No, <laughs> okay. uh, absolutely not. It's been the most exciting tour we've had in 10 years. In fact, everybody I've talked to is talking about the tour because it's so exciting because there's no predetermined winner. No. Well, there is today, but yes, I see what you mean. But, now, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's every day. That, I mean, every day people have been talking about the tour because no one knew who was going to win. I mean... It's, it's actually a topic of conversation here in the United States for the first time in years. Um, I was at the dentist two weeks ago, and he started talking about the tour. And, of course, I was but all dentists ride bikes. People. Jim, all yeah. dentists ride bikes. We've all got $10,000 bikes. Come on. Okay. Well. <laughs> That's not okay. a good example. All dentists. Uh, Jim, you in the show notes, you put something that we won't. Uh, well, I don't assume we don't won't hear, apart from this is on podcast. But you, you're talking about uh, Lance Armstrong's uh, commentary. commentary duties. 
Yeah. For, so tell tell us a little bit before we get into the the tour itself. Let's let you tell us about Lance Armstrong's commentary and what it's been like, and and how people are responding to that. Uh, in the last three hundred and sixty five days, Lance Armstrong, in in from what I've been listening to, has gone from um, a scourge to a hero. Um, that he he was still in Aspen. Uh, I'm ninety percent sure. Uh, but they would bring him in once a day, most days, for his opinion. More of a more of a Jens Voigt type of opinion on who do you think is going to win, how's it going, that type of stuff. And he was loved. Um, hmm. uh, I mean, it, it went over big time. Uh, so that's a rehabilitation. So what what station was this on, Jim? Uh, NBC Sports, which was carrying the uh, the race. Um, uh, um, would bring him in, and and uh, here again, I, when I was at the dentist, my dentist said that he <laughs> listens to the pod, you know, Lance's podcast, and loves him. Mm. Uh, had so, nothing negative to say about Lance, and when I brought up the doping, he said, "Well, the, you know, they haven't given his jerseys away because everybody else was doping." Um, so in Europe, Jim, we, we've we've got a choice. We can watch Eurosport. We can watch ITV. There's a few different ways of watching the tour if we want to on on TV. Is NBC the only way you can watch it? Can you switch yes. channels or? No, on TV, the only way I can watch it is NBC. Um, and, and that's even in its own uh, weird way. And we have NBC Sports, which broadcasts the show um, uh, Monday through Friday, usually a live show at four or five, six in the morning, depending on when the race starts. And then there's a rebroadcast edited version, usually at 10 and at 1 mm. and at 7, sometimes 10 o'clock at night. The weekend, so, then, the show is on NBC, the main show, but it's only on mm. like 1 o'clock. Um, so mm. yesterday, I missed, you know, all I could see was uh, a YouTube version of the show because I was writing at 1 o'clock and miss the main show because they don't show it on NBC sports. So when they show it on NBC and that's so Jim, if you've got only, sorry, no, I was going to say that's not because of a lack no, of um, sports channels in America. It's just because uh, it's competing with so much golf. Yeah. And NASCAR and, mm. and football training has started during my ride. I went past the, the football stadium, football, meaning the American sport here. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they had the Denver Broncos had a practice and they let out the practice right as we were coming through and we were literally crawling through throngs of people in orange jerseys who just watch people practice mm. football. Mm. So <laughs> it's hilarious. So, Jim, where I was going with that was that because you've only got that one channel, you can't really avoid Lance Armstrong in the in the UK. If we if we've got a if somebody doesn't like David Miller, who's one of the commentators here, you can switch and you can watch you know one or two other channels. So you can't in the US. You've got Lance Armstrong, whether you like it or not. Yeah, he's not on the YouTube repodcast that we can access, but he's he's on NBC, and you cannot miss him. But but I have not heard a negative about it, not one. And and the first time he popped on, I was like, you know, shocked. Um, hadn't really read the news you know, lead ups here in the U.S. to it because they're sort of, well, just stupid. Uh, you know, the advertising for it. And 
all of a sudden he's there and next time he's there and and in all honesty I thought he did a good job I mean he was uh, you know he knew what he was talking about he gave solid statements and the, the, of course the decision was who's going to win tomorrow and who's going to win the tour and he said I don't know because and because and, and it was it was good he did a good job so Joe how do you watch the the tour what are you what channels are you watching I, I go for Eurosport uh, predominantly um, over ITV. So we have to, obviously we have the two options in the UK of um, Eurosport and ITV. But I I stick with Eurosport as it's how I watch you know all of my cycling throughout the year. Not because I have a preference on commentators or not because I object to David Miller being being a commentator despite his past. I just yeah, just a creature of habit with this one, I guess. It's um, um I think. In the UK, I mean, I, I've I've seen a lot of this sort of controversy around Lance commentating uh, in America, and in, in one one aspect, I do get it because Lance's situation is unique. It's not like other people, other riders in cycling who doped. There's the the, the entire backstory of the the bullying, etc. But then people that are, that are outspoken about Lance commentating and have an opinion on cycling, you know. The Eurosports adverts for the last three weeks have had an, an advert for Festina watches that's had Richard Veronk and <laughs> Richard Veronk, uh, you know, tested positive in his career. You know, the whole sport is still awash with people that tested positive. So because Lance has come in back in and is now offering his opinion, I, I'm not necessarily one of those saying that it's wrong. Um, and I think. <laughs> As long as as long as we understand what Lance did and and that's never forgotten, um, I, I don't see why there's not room for him to offer these opinions and have his own podcast, etc. And people want to listen to his opinion. People do. He's he's got a very successful podcast, and that's not because you know it's because he says interesting stuff. And he was at that top level of the sport not too very long ago. So people respect still respect what he has to say and i you know admittedly he says some stuff that i find very interesting sometimes i don't agree with what he says but that's that's life isn't it <laughs> mm-hmm. so casper how do you watch it uh itv4 <clears throat> it, it's um it's, it's short and succinct and i uh, i haven't got as much time to watch it as i as so, i would like so you to basically watch so, the yeah. the recorded highlights at seven o'clock yeah, hmm. yeah. So in, interesting talking about Lance Armstrong though, because he he was um, that explosion in um, popularity in cycling mm. when when he was winning so much was was when I was starting to become a cycle career in London, and that that was sort of my way into watching the Grand Tours, uh, and, and, and you know it's it, it's it's given me this real mixed relationship with him since. Because you know it was it, it was an absolutely fascinating time for for cycling for me to get involved and, and, and watch it and and uh, and then learn about it and especially learning from a lot of the we were we were really fortunate at the company I was working with we had the um, he was frequently the Dutch junior national champion was working hmm. with us and it particularly gave me a real schooling in um, in how doping the history of doping in, in cycle racing in, on the continent uh, and on the depth of, of the relationship between the two. And, and you know, the, that at the time when I was watching this and then watching it all unfold was just, just really, really fascinating 
time to, to, to be involved, to, to get in, into watching cycling. And obviously, you know, like like, like Joe was saying, Armstrong is an incredibly opinionated man. Mm. And, and, you know, and there are also, like Joe was saying, there are still so many people that are from that recent past. Uh, and it's, and it is just it's it's just as a fascinating time now as it was then, probably with a lot less doping. Well, even Bradley Wiggins hasn't got a. I mean, he's one of the other commentators on Eurosport uh, on the motorbike. He hasn't got a, a, a totally squeaky clean uh, backstory because of the, the 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 overhanging jiffy bag thing, Joe. So you really you can't you can't escape if you're going to have a commentator on on cycling who's you know. By absolute dint of you need the experts on, the experts were probably the people who were riding 10, 15, 20 years ago. Well, that was the doping era. So, yeah, the, you're going to have a lot of doping people uh, commentating on cycling. Exactly. No, one, no one wants to hear the opinion of the man who finished 123rd at the 1989 Tour de France. No one no one really cares what someone like Edwin van Hooydonk has to say about cycling um, because he's not a household name. People want to know what. Armstrong has to say, people were in, still interested in what Merckx had to say. Merckx fouled three tests in his mm-hmm. career. But yeah, we all idolised him. Well, it, uh, one day the Americans had Bradley Weekens come over from his commentary, and, and he showed up in a T-shirt, a white T-shirt, uh, you know, and talked about um, what he was doing and his ideas of the race. And it was it was quite hilarious, actually, um, to bring in somebody uh, – to bring in uh, – Bradley Wiggins for the American broadcast. Well, I'll I'll just tell you that I I actually watched ITV, uh, and I I think it is more as Joe was saying, it's more of a, uh, it's kind of a habit. I just have I've always gr- I grew up with watching it on ITV in the Phil Liggett and Paul Sherwin era, and I just kept on going. And so I think Ned Bolting is excellent. Um, I used to like obviously Chris Boardman mm. and and his comments. He's not there this year. I think that's a big uh, a big miss not having Chris Boardman there because he was another uh, person who had unbelievably good uh, logistic knowledge of of uh, you know the the top riders the the Tour de France. So that's a huge miss not to to have Chris there. But I watch ITV uh, and like Casper, I would probably watch seventy percent. I'd watch recorded as in the, the the evening shows and then only the shows that i'd uh i'd watch live would be you know like maybe the top three of the the mountain stages i'd watch uh the last two or three hours of of that um so joe coming back to sure. you and because we, we started off by talking about um what kind of a, a tour this was this mm. year did you have any inkling it would be Bernal. Did did you have any like sweepstakes on um, go in the office? I, I am I am very partial rider. to a flutter on cycling. Um, I always have been, and I did did believe Bernal would podium. Um, mm. I would. I yeah, I believed he would podium. I still believe that they would have. Re- you know, Garrett Thomas would have been their number one choice, and I believe Garrett Thomas was probably their number one choice. And it all changed because mm. of Julian Alaphilippe. Um, I don't mm. think anyone could have expected what Alaphilippe did during this tour to have happened. And yeah. if Alaphilippe had got dropped on the Tourmalet, we would probably be seeing, I reckon, Garrett Thomas riding into Paris in yellow today. 
because although he lost yeah. time on that stage, he would have been in, he would have finished the day in yellow, um, and Team Ineos would have been able to defend it until Paris. Whether the, you know the weather that had happened in the last week had happened or not, I think because of Alaphilippe mm-hmm. lighting up the stage, Thibaut Pino as well was a threat until obviously he had to, to drop out for injury. They had to change mm-hmm. their tactic, and the man to to shake things up was Egan Bernal. Um, and I feel like Bernal is probably a new wave for cycling. I feel like there's a sort of maybe a changing of the, the guard. I'm not a massive fan of that that phrase, but I think he's 22. And he's won a Tour de France, and that could be the next decade of the sport almost. Well, he's got eight years of of jersey wins here, hasn't oh, he? Oh, he's got he's got, got ten. He's got ten, ten years, I reckon. I think you know he's ten years younger than Garen Thomas is now. He's twelve years younger than mm. Chris Froome is now, and we still touted them as the first two favourites two three months ago. So, mm. and if he if Team Ineos still exist and they still have the money that they have for the next five years, I don't. I think it'll be very hard to match. Where do you stand? I'll, I'll go with everybody else here, but I'll start with you, Joe. Where do you stand on the concept of putting caps on how much you can spend on a team per year? Um, I think it's a good idea in practice, but having seen it from other sports, it mm. doesn't always necessarily work. Firstly, there's always ways to get around spending caps um, mm. because, okay, I can cap a team to 20 million euros a year in their budget, but... As we've seen, funny enough, with Rugby Union in the UK recently is that I can pay you X amount, but if I give you this, that and the other, invest in businesses, etc., that doesn't count, but it's going to be attractive. And I, I don't necessarily know if that's the, the first, that's the solution to what's happening at the Tour de France. Um, mm. And Casper, do you... Sorry, yeah, no, go ahead. Casper, do you, do, do you think... There should be a cap on on the amount of spent because Ineos is clearly, you know, so far ahead of every other team. Even though it was only six months ago, it didn't exist. But Team Ineos, uh, knee Team Sky, Brailsford, wherever he puts his hand to, he gets the big bucks, and then he can he can get the best riders. Do you do you think that's a hindrance to the sport? Should there be a cap? Yes. Yeah, I think there should be. I think there should be a cap. It would. It would. Um, you know. Even. Even with with creative accounting uh, and other methods, being able to to, to access funding that uh, would circumvent that cap, I still think a cap would level the playing field and make make for far more interesting racing. Mm. You know that last night I was watching uh, the, the race on uh, on TV with two friends, uh, both cyclists, uh, both longtime cyclists, and um, you know when when we saw. Uh, for ourselves, who was winning and what? The the first comment was, "Money buys you victory," and that was it. Mm. I mean, it's. I mean, Alaphilippe had nobody support him the last three days. His team was basically dead. Mm. Um, and and as uh, Phil Liggett here says, uh, the yellow jersey gives you the strength of two men. You know, he was he was riding on his own and riding like a madman, and uh, was doing a good job. If you would have had team would have had some money, might have had some more support and, and might have been a little bit different. I, um, I'm, I'm just going to jump in. With the, the spending cap, when you look at it, Team team Sky, Team Ineos, was, have not spent that much more than some other teams in the World Tour. Notably, Bahrain, Merida have not too mm. dissimilar a, a pay 
sort of structure. BMC, when they existed, had a very similar budget. Uh, Katusha Alperson have, have sort of gone over the sort of 30 million mark before and have not performed the same way. I think what happens is Team Ineos are a one-race team and mm-hmm. everything they do is geared towards winning a yellow jersey in July. The Koenig Quips that don't do that, other teams don't do that. They they have multiple goals during the season. They want to win monuments. They want to win one-week races. Team Ineos could go throughout a whole year not having won anything but as long as they win the Tour de France in July, they're they're pretty happy. It's you know if you used to cut their budget by fifteen million, they'd go okay, that's fine. We'll just get rid of X, Y, and Z from the roster who races in the one day classics and the the one week races, and we'll just keep on the likes of Bernal and Thomas and Froome, and we'll still win the Tour de France. Mm. And mm. if you said okay, AG two R, the the budget cap is now now twenty million. They're already paying that. They're already paying out twenty million. So they're not going to have the money to bring in someone like Bernal or Thomas. I don't think the talent would split mm. much. I think mm. you, if another team came in, I think somebody like Jumbo Visma is an interesting example. If Jumbo Visma decided to take Grand Tour racing seriously, which they are, and it looks like they're going to bring in Tom de Moulin from Team Sunweb, now that's a team that could, despite not having the mm. same pay structure, but they would be completely building a team for Grand Tours, the same way in which Mitchell and Scott have started to, to work. Then They're all about racing for Grand Tours and who they buy is very much dictated on who can help the Yates twins. And that, I mm-hmm. think that's how you challenge Team Ineos and Team Sky in that domination, which is, you know, ultimately the problem. It's not so much the the pay if, if Team Ineos were paying 40 million euros a year in terms of its budget, but didn't win the Tour de France every year. I don't think we'd really be that concerned um so is it brailsford then is that the 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 secret ingredient it's not the money it's not even the the members of the team perhaps it's actually brailsford is the one who's the one who's 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 masterminded these what is it seven victories now yeah i think it's a combination of things i think it's the combination of that they have probably had the best team manager um maybe in terms of being able to orchestrate and to build a team um yes the money does play a part but I think it's just their their whole team's focus that the fact that they all buy into winning the yellow jersey. Um, you know, riders won't riders who are looking for opportunities have gone there in the past. People like Elio Viviani, Mark Cavendish, and it hasn't worked because mm. they get forgetting about these are incredible riders who will win you incredible races throughout the year. Team Sky were not interested in that. They were interested in anything mm. that could help Bradley Wiggins, Chris Froome, Grant Thomas, and now Egan Bernal to to a grand tour. Mm. Joe, you mentioned Team Sky there, so I'd actually like to jump in and talk about this to Casper. And that is, are, are you now more likely to to favour fracking in the UK now that there's this wonderful Tour de France team <laughs> uh, called this wonderful company, Ineos? I've never heard before. You know, who are they? Oh, they, they do all this lovely fracking. Is this something that you decry from the rooftops, Casper, that there's, a, there's this kind of company is into cycle sport? <laughs> yes, uh, uh, unequivocally, uh, and you know, uh, uh, at a national level, HSBC as well. Unfortunately, um, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, where, where, I mean, where, where do you start with with Radcliffe and fracking? I mean, he's he, he's a he's the the, the um, dreadful, absolutely dreadful procedure, uh, and certainly not where we should be looking at at all. And it shouldn't really have anything to do with cycling. 
whatsoever. You know. Um, but Joe, can I just ask a question about the um, funding for these teams? Is the the, the longevity of the funding for Sky and now Ineos, is there any other teams that have matched that level of funding for that um, length I of time? I've, no, I don't think that there's any that are, are sort of... Um, I've actually, no, Movistar. I think Movistar have confirmed that they're going to go through to sort of 2023. Um, and that's a pretty stable financial base for the, right. the Spanish team. It's mm-hmm. been there for, I think, in their 40 years now. Um, and I think a couple of the other teams have got a long, longer term structure, but none as secure, I don't think, as Ineos, or as definitely secure and as sort of sort of fruitful as, as Ineos will have. I mean, they did keep the team intact. So, so Ratcliffe has kept the, his money, has kept the, the team intact, but it didn't exist six months ago. You know, Brailsford was going around the world looking for people with 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 money, and he found it. In in Ineos, I, I'm coming to Jim here. Jim, is there any? I mean, fracking in the US is a really normal thing. In the Europe, it's still a, an incredibly contentious issue. Is the fact Ineos has that had any um, coverage in the US of what is this team Ineos? Who where they come from? It's it's, it's this fracking company, or is it, it? It's it's hasn't registered on the US audiences at all. It, it hasn't registered at all. Uh, the only people that know what Team Ineos does. Uh, that that affects them are those who are really into cycling, who are following the industry on a day-to-day basis. Um, so everybody I've talked to, uh, the only people who who know are the ones that that either I've I've told about based on my conversations with you, or uh, are really really into the cycling world. The rest of the world doesn't care or know. And in all honesty. Um, here in the United States, we've been doing it for so long, it is not an issue whatsoever. Uh, even it's, So for the people who even know, it's like, eh, we frack. It's how we get more oil and gas out. Um, we, and, and here in Colorado, of course, we frack our wells, uh, for our water wells, because so many people are on a well system in the mountains. So they frack them uh, to get more water out of their wells when the wells start to go dry. So it's, it's no issue here in the United States at all. But Casper, it's an issue with you. Would it, would it, would it, does it put you off pro cycling a bit that team Ineos is now part of the setup? Uh, yes, <laughs> it does. I mean, for, for a number of reasons, not the, the process as well, but, but the man too, you know, he's, uh, He's a massive tax exile, isn't he? It was, he should really be. It'd be better if he was better if all if he was paying tax rather than funding a funding a protein. Mm. I guess there's not that many people in the UK have ever heard of Ineos, so it is. It is. It, this is pretty much their first really raising above the uh, the parapets, raising their their profile. So, Casper, I know you wouldn't. Uh, uh, buy anything from Ineos because of, but would you buy a quick step laminate flooring? You know, all these names in cycling that we know so well, and they do these really obscure things like, you know, quick step is, is, is tiles and, and laminate flooring. And so are you influenced? Are you influenced by what a team is called? The sponsor. I'm not. No, no, no. But you know what, no, you, you know what not, quick step is though. You know the name Quickstep because of cycling. You don't know it from any other any other place. Yeah, and the same for Alpachin either. But I've never bought <laughs> Alpachin. 
and and Sky, where you, I certainly didn't ever, I wouldn't touch anything with Murdoch's name on it. That's, that's a good point, <laughs> actually. Ineos is like it's just you know out, out of the fire into the or out of the frying pan into the fire. It was a it was a pretty contentious team before, wasn't it? Really, so not now. Obviously, Sky doesn't own um, Murdoch. There's mm. no Sky anymore now, but. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it completely is in, from out of the front and into the fire. Yeah. See, here in the United States, the names are just a, are comical. Nobody mm. understands what they mean. Nobody. I mean, the last time a team was recognized here in the United States, it was called U.S. Postal Service. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and that's it. I and mean, that went well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and then uh, the other the other name, the only other name that's known is, is and they're gone also, which would be the uh, the – uh, jelly sport beans, um, yeah, and that's and that's because mainly their jersey was so. Mm. You, know, you could see them coming from miles away, their cars and everything. But other than that, nobody understands yeah. what the team names are in, in, in here in the U.S. It's it's hilarious the questions you get, um, and and people don't people just think it's a name somebody came up with to race, mm. you know, and and no clue that it's connected to the marketing or the payment or the you know how the team's put together. So. It's- it's also not a new problem for cycling. It's, you know, Eddie Merckx race for a team sponsored by BP. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Shell sponsored cycling teams. Um, there's another team at the Tour de France sponsored by Total, which is a massive uh, fossil fuel, French fossil fuel company. Um, mm. So it's not, it's not a new problem. It's just that the biggest team in the world with the most money has brought them on as a sponsor, so it's more under the spotlight. Um, and I think, you know, whether that's, that is rightfully so, maybe we should scrutinise where sponsors come in from the sport. You know, we have we also have some nation-state sponsoring World Tour teams that don't have the cleanest, well, you know, human rights record. Um, so maybe this is... A- so there's a lot of green... green- a lot of greenwashing going on, a lot of nation-state washing. There's an awful lot of trying to, to scrub up yeah maybe that should should put more of a spotlight on where the money comes into our sport because should it though because we, we, it's not a rich sport really. it's not a rich sport yeah. scheme of things yeah it's not a rich sport but it's it's sometimes it's maybe necessary you know it's just because it's happening doesn't mean it's right mm-hmm. and i would would we be okay if Ineos were replaced by a less wealthy team that couldn't pump as much money into the sport and make cycling as big as it is in the UK, but they're a greener. Mm. greener. I think we'd all be okay with that. Would the general person on the street be okay with that? I, I'm not sure. I don't think they'd care. I think a lot of people wouldn't be too sort of hit neither here nor there about it. Mm. I, I, I object to the Ineos logo. I hate the Ineos logo just from a typo- typographical point of view. That's who designed that. That's awful. Design your logo fresh, and then I might come into your and, and like your team a bit more. <laughs> yeah, see, here in the U.S., cycling is such an, a, a far out fringe sport that I don't think it would matter whatsoever uh, what they did. I think that the bigger issue would be if there's not enough money and not enough interest to get it on TV once a year. I mean, mm. and remember, this is our only, uh, this is the only cycling show, cycling race you can see unless um, you have access to local TV and are watching local races. Um, I think it'd be a, a disaster uh, 
because it's it's our you know the U.S. is so far out there, and yet it's such a big market. So it'll be interesting. Mm. So Ineos is a is a British team. It's got a Colombian. We won't need. She mustn't uh, say who's going to win tonight because he maybe somebody there's an awful crash and 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 Egan Bernal doesn't win tonight. But ninety nine percent of chance he is going to win tonight. So they've got a Colombian who's going to win for a British team. Can I can I quickly just ask about the ceremonial stages? Uh, people's opinion on it. Um, partly because I've heard a lot of anger on social media that stage twenty one of the Tour de France is ceremonial. But I don't understand the anger because the Tour de France will end in Paris, regardless of where it's ceremonial or not. It's It's been tradition for the best part of 40, 50 years now. It's mm. a flat stage in which even if, say, the Koenig Quickstep decided to try and race to take back time for Julian Alaphilippe, it wouldn't happen because it's a flat stage around a circuit in Paris. Mm. And I just don't understand the anger. I don't, it's so, there's so many people that are so, have so much hatred for the fact that it's a ceremonial stage. It's, I don't think even if it wasn't ceremonial, unless it was a time trial, of course, but I don't think people would actually race it anyway. I think they'd all turn up, do 50, sort of 50% and then jostle out for a sprint at the end anyway. Is the anger, though, because of the last two stages have been weird stages and they wanted something, all right, let's, okay, it's normally ceremonial, but let's make this last one mm. not ceremonial because of these weird weather stages? I think it's something that happens. I, I see it appear every year, this sort of the people that are like, oh, well, that's, yeah. Joe, that, that's just dad. <laughs> forget, forget those people. They are not worth <laughs> talking about. What other, sport, what other sport has a ceremonial last stage? No other sport has it. We race to the very end. It's not until the final second of any activity, any sport, that you know who the winner is, except the Tour de France, you know, at the end of stage 20, who the winner's going to be. But that's and, that's the end of the state. That's the end of the race for the GC. That's absolutely fine. It's just once you get your head around it, it's like, well, that is the end. And then literally it is as a as, as Joe was saying, it's ceremonial, and then it, you give a chance for the sprinter because they haven't had a chance for the like you know ten days. Yeah, but, I, I see no no problem with it. Well, but but if if it's the end, you go home. <laughs> you don't watch, you go home. I mean, the, here in the United States, on, on our sports, if one team's winning, you know, in the middle of the third quarter or whatever, or uh, we go home then. Um, mm. You know, it's got to be close to make us stick around, even even then. So. Casper, what, what's your views on this? I don't mind. I mean, I, 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 a few times I've been to Paris to watch the uh, final stage. I've absolutely adored it, and you know, it's, it's such a spectacle. And I love watching the sprinting. It's you know, I'm not you know the, the fact that the the the, uh, the 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 yellow jersey is tied up by then isn't isn't really an issue for me. There's so much other stuff going on. Yeah, I love the the fact that cycling is is chess at you know forty miles an hour. You know how many different races within races are happening, and once you get your head round, there's not just one winner. You know, there's an overall winner, but it's just there's lots of other races within races. Once you get your head round that, it's easier to think. Well, of course, that's fine to have that ceremonial stage. Now, let's just go around the table. Now, it's a British team with a Colombian winner, but am I the only one here? And I suspect I'm not. Who who wanted a French winner here? Who didn't want? you know, uh, uh, Thomas to win. I was very happy. I was rooting for, for Alaphilippe. So wh- wh- what are people's positions on this? Joe, were you, who are you rooting for towards the end? I, I'm still not emotionally over the scenes of Thibaut Pino being forced into his team car crying. 
Um, mm, I yeah. believe that Thibaut Pino was probably the strongest climber in this race, and he showed that in the mm. Pyrenees. I Thibaut Pino has this sort of humanist quality about him that this vulnerability that makes us as amateur cyclists relate to him because so many times during his career, he's shown that vulnerability, whether that's through illness at the Giro last year, it was, you know, he did the same. He he pulled out on stage 19. Um, You know, he's an inability to descend for large parts of his career through fear. Um, And then, and then this, another, another injury that's taken away probably his best opportunity to win the tour is so relatable compared to the, robot-like actions we see from so many other cyclists where they sh- they have no sort of chinks in their armour. And So you thought Pinot would, would come up on the outside there I, I thought and, if, if, and, and do a banal? If Pinot had, if Pinot had not, not sustained that injury and the weather hadn't happened, which is a lot of ifs and buts, I, I mm. believe that Pinot would have had, the, had what it takes to overturn the time deficit. And he would have definitely matched uh, Bernal on the Isaran and the other climbs in which... Bernal managed to escape from the other GC favourites, in my opinion. In my opinion, mm, we'll never know. But Casper, who were you rooting for? I wasn't. I wasn't. I'm sure this won't be much of a surprise to anybody. I wasn't really rooting for anybody. Um, I, I enjoyed. I just enjoyed what I watched unfold in front of me on the screen. Mm-hmm. And Jim, yeah, who were you rooting for? It, here, I wasn't rooting for anybody, but here again, but it's also I wasn't. Uh, I was rooting against teams. Um, you know, it was, it was so <laughs> frustrating to watch movie star just pull mm. off stupid move after stupid move after stupid move. Yeah, they were um, doing weird things. Yeah, and and you know, you're always against the last year's winner, so everyone hates Team Enos because they keep mm. winning. Um, and so it was, it was, I, I didn't know who was going to win. I was listening to everybody uh, and I didn't care. Uh, and, and, but I didn't want certain people to win, certain groups to win. As far as Philippe goes, I was, I was rooting for him. I thought the French needed a win. It's been since mm. what, the 70s since the Frenchman won. But you could tell that, that it was 80s, so, 80s excuse me. Yeah. Mm. It was you an know. eight. It was a solo solo run and as everyone always says you need a team to win in the tour mm. uh, and that's that's so true um so so jim there's there was no american interest in in this because obviously nbc i'm assuming with the, the the broadcaster when it was in the armstrong years you haven't had any an american interest for a for a wee while so did you get a flavor of who the, the commentators, the, the the broadcasters in general, who were they rooting for? Who would they like to see? If it's not an American, it doesn't matter? Or would, did you think there was some bias there? They wanted to see a certain nationality, no, certain certain individuals to win. It, it, so we had, we had, first of all, all the commentators are former racers. So Bob Roll stepped up to fill uh, Paul Sherman's position and, and changed his whole life to do it. Uh, it wasn't the old Bob Roll comedian slapstick. It was he actually did a pr- really really good job, um, and and everybody. So nobody else, even though they're all Americans except Phil Liggett, uh, nobody looked at an American as anything. And there were only three or four Americans in the race. Uh, then T.J. Vandergaard dropped, um, as he does. Uh, so so. It was hard to root for anybody just because you didn't know them for most people. 
or couldn't find an American that even had a, a chance. Um, and, and we're all for America here. You know, we want an American mm. team and, and uh, America first, Jim, right. America first. Right. And, you don't have that. What have you got? Yeah. And people hadn't figured out that the American team had now had a different name. And so, um, the EF education fund, I don't think many people really recognize that as an American team, even mm. though it really is. And, and there were no Americans on it basically. So, so going, looking at this long term, do you see, do you see a future for, for the NBC to keep that company? If you haven't got an, an American interest there and you haven't had for some time, why would an, an, an you know, mainstream broadcaster like NBC carry on broadcasting the Tour de France? I think that there is growing interest in bicycle racing here in the United States. And I think that TV is the only way it's going to happen um, on a national level level or an international level, because there's just no interest. Uh, you know, the, here we are, here I am, Denver, Colorado, Boulder, Colorado. Colorado is cycling Mecca in the United States. And yet mm. nobody shows up to watch the, when the pro teams come by. Um, our streets are void. Um, uh, you know, our, our one pro race is now a women's race. Uh, there will not be any men racing in it. And I'm, I'm hopeful, but concerned about who, you know, how many people are going to show up to watch the race. But I, but I think that watching cycling racing is finally being understood by people. Uh, I think Americans are finally understanding how and why it's a team sport, not just the fact that you know, but, but it still frustrates that we don't, you know, there's no racing on the final day. Is it, um, is it still struggling from the fallout from Armstrong? No, I think that's, in fact, that's what caught me off guard this year the most is I think that's reversed itself. Mm. I think Armstrong is coming back. His, everyone loves his podcast. Yeah. Uh, and I think he's coming back big time. Uh, people have forgotten about that or, or people have gone and said, the justification, um, he's not any worse than anybody else. Um, from that from that era. From that mm. era, yeah. Mm. Well, worse from anybody else from any era. I don't, you know, as, as long as there's sports, there's going to be people trying to get around, you know, the ways of winning legally, and I don't think that's going to change. Uh, I mean, I, I still believe people are doping, you know, there's, I don't have any proof right now, but somebody will pop something. Mm. You know? Oh, you don't need proof because because riders still test positive. So, right. Well, you're right, <laughs> but I mean, it's not making the it's not making front page news like it did, yeah. you know, five ten years ago. Uh, and and we, you know, Floyd uh, Landis is now living in Colorado, and they just there were several interviews of Floyd, um, mostly business interviews about how well his business is doing. Um, but, but, you know, it always comes in and it's always the introduction to any business interview with Floyd about his business is he was a Tour de France winner who got caught. So. What one of the Tour de France winners who's got caught. Casper, <laughs> well, yeah. uh, let, let's, let's, let's talk weather. Let's talk climate. In fact, not weather, climate, uh, because the Tour de France has been a pretty good example of freaky weather conditions uh, being very visible because there was some pretty amazing, well, snow at that time of the year. And not just a little bit of snow, a lot of snow and and the landslides. And it's basically, it's a metaphor for maybe what's coming up as well. I mean, this, this, 
the weather patterns we've got are clearly freaky, yeah? Yeah, particularly this is the second example in France this year of freak weather, isn't it? There was the... Uh, was a storm earlier on this year, wasn't there? That uh, that, that that wrecked uh, the farmers' crops. Eighty percent of farmers' crops in a ten-kilometer square area were destroyed by um, giant hailstones. You know, this, this, the size of ping pong balls, smashing car windows and uh, ripping through uh, crops. And um, you know that that was at the at the uh, very beginning, late spring, I think. And, you know, this, this is the same, isn't it? You know, one of the uh, consequences of the climate crisis is is uh, more frequent freak weather, basically. And that's exactly what we saw. There's also been two periods. Also, there's also been two periods in France where the weather's got to sort of 45, 46 degrees this year. I was in um, the Alps in June. Yeah, late June uh, with Cyclist Magazine uh, doing a feature and we were above 2,000 metres in altitude, and it was still 37 degrees, which is insane when you think about how high you are. You shouldn't, it shouldn't be that hot, up that high. And we got down into the valley, and the, the temperatures were 45, 46 degrees in the middle of the Alps, which is bonkers, mm. really. So they are going to have to – I mean, if, if you have that kind of weird stuff, they're going to have to redesign the tour for certain time. I mean – you can't be having the, the the tour going up mountains like that where you're going to get weather like that. Or do you think that's a one-off or do you think we're going to see more and more of this? I, I mean, I live at, at, at 5,000, almost 6,000 feet, um, 2,000 meters. Uh, and, you know, live in a state that goes up to 14,000 feet uh, and have several passes above 10,000 feet, have a community living at 10,000 feet. Uh, that's has a lot of cycling and in fact there's bicycle races going on in Leadville Colorado right now and I think in one week or two in this is the Leadville 100 this 100 mile bike mountain bike race that goes above 13,000 foot several times uh, but you accept the fact that you may get snowed on and you may end up slogging through stuff and people have been pulled off the race because of hypothermia um, we had our ski areas were open July 4th here, um, and most of them didn't close until late May when the, normally they close uh, mid-April. So, but it's not uncommon. I mean, it's, you know, this, oh, yeah, Arapahoe Basin will be open until uh, such and such this year, and it's been five years since they were open this late. So it's not uncommon for us to have snow in June and July in the mountains, uh, we had snow here in Denver in May. Uh, we've had a ton of water. We've had so much rain. That is off the chart for us. Uh, mm. But, you, you know, what What are you going to do? I mean, are you, are you not going to race the high mountains? I mean, that's what the Tour de France is famous for here from the United States perspective is they get high. They make people hurt. It's a, it's a, a tricky one because it's also you look – the Giro, albeit that is in May, but it's why it doesn't go to passes like the Nivole and Stelvio every year. The Gavia this year was was mm. cancelled because of bad weather. Weather is unpredictable when you go over 2,000 metres, as you said, Jim. And there was always this risk with this last week of the Tour by taking the race over 2,000 metres that much. Weather, you bring weather in as a factor, even though it is July, unfortunately. Um, and we've, I think 
you know, climate change is happening, but I think we also were quite unlucky with this to have had two stages affected by this sort of freak storm. Um, we could have, we could have, could have passed without that. Jay, it wasn't just those two stages because Sagan, even before the uh, those weather, you know, wipeout stages, you you had Sagan saying you should be going to the CPA, the the Professional Cyclists Association, to complain about riders having to ride over mountains in the severe heat so the heat was also a factor even before these two very obvious days so in future if we're going to have hotter hotter stages and we're talking you know up to 45 degrees if you're doing 150 mile bike rides including over mountains at 45 degrees well cpa is going to have to get involved and say we can't do that we're going to have to shorten stages so do you see that in the future we're going to have to just the the this sporting event will have to be redesigned going forward because you, the heat, the weird uh, snow, all these different factors are going to be much, much more prevalent in the future. Yeah, I think there'll be there'll be changes to the, how the Grand Tour is sort of designed by people like ASO, but that's common, you know. Look back 50, 60 years and we used to have 100-mile team time trials. Mm-hmm. That no longer exists. And I think there will be... Uh, a push towards shorter mountain stages because it encapsulate, encapsulates the interest more than a 200-kilometer, eight-hour stage. If, like yesterday, everything happens in just two hours, I think they can sort of capture a bigger audience uh, for that shorter amount of time. And I think there is a push for that, for more exciting racing. And to get sort of the layman in who doesn't understand cycling as much and as well, you know, Are you talking about cricket, cricket here or cycling? Because that's the same argument used in cricket. Exactly the same argument, isn't it? Let's bring the TV audiences in, get the newbies in. But doesn't that then say, yeah, but the people who've been following this for 40 years, sod you? In a way, yeah, it does. It does. It's sort of the um, the traditionalist will, will not be happy, maybe, that there's not no longer these 220-kilometre epic mountain stages. But also racing's changed as well. And unlike... 20 years ago when in a 200 kilometer stage someone would attack after the first 50k and you'd never see them again Mm. um that doesn't happen really anymore does it It, racing's changed so you know we have to as a sport it has to adapt as well to how people are racing the, the sport and and it's a lot different it's a much much more of a team sport now than it was back then um so are you bringing in race radios there as an issue you, you, yeah there's a, there's a or against race radios the race radios i think uh, the use of power meters uh, the fact that people mm. write to numbers rather than on instinct and feel i also do feel mm. i do agree with jim and casper that i don't believe that the peloton's clean but it's cleaner so riders can no longer <laughs> ride off the front with 100 miles to go and not be caught um, because they have the ability to ride at their threshold for four hours over three mountain passes. Um, so, so things are changing, and, and ASO and, and people like that, RCS, who organise the Giro, they have to adapt mm. to that to make the race still interesting and bring in different aspects and, and, and different things that will invigorate the sport. Joe, do you, you're talking about doping there. Do you subscribe to the theory that, one of the theories, that the French haven't had uh, a Twitter France winners is because they've been clean for, for 20 years, you know, since Veronk. <laughs> you know, they've been clean since Veronk, and that's why they haven't won. Do you, do you subscribe to that? And, and that's why 
or is it more a case of that you haven't got a you know a, a fantastic team and you need the team as Jim was saying before um I think it's six or one and a half does another I think there was a problem with French cycling in that it was adverse to modernization uh, ad2r mm. FTJ were, were not willing to bring on stuff like aerodynamic experts and didn't put riders in the wind tunnel and then would ask questions why they lost four minutes in time trials. Um, <laughs> they wouldn't, you know, perfect example of it. Jim will probably remember 1989 tour. Greg LeMond has an aero helmet and aero bars and beats Laurent Fignon on the Champs-Élysées. Mm. Why did he do that? Because he used modern kit. And France, mm. until now, and you see it with Group Armour FTJ, have started to use wind tunnels in time trial time trialing and, and now Thibaut Pinot is a very capable time trialist it's they've they've started to do that their diets are you know the diets are probably are improving the way they treat their riders the way that the riders train is probably tra- changing but I also do think I do consider someone like Thibaut Pinot I believe is clean I don't you know in past tours if someone had had a knee, knee injury like Thibaut Pinot had in that final week would they have just been put sort of filled to the eyeballs with Tramadol, probably. And mm. they would have probably got through the rest of that that grand tour. It's ironic, actually, uh, Jim, because Lance Armstrong in his podcast was saying how he'd have ridden on. He wouldn't have got off the bike. But Lance Armstrong would have probably taken a, a lot of painkillers mm. and um, testosterone to get himself through that final three yeah. days. You know, he'd have probably had a cortisone steroid, uh, steroid injection, which Pino would not have had. And that's why Pino had to step off the bike. Um, yeah. It's so. interesting. I hadn't thought of that before. Um, here in the U.S., one of the big reasons why we've started to like cycling, especially the Tour de France, is its length. Um, the fact that it is hilly and steep and long, I think, is as much of a draw as anything. Um, I would like to see viewership numbers but i suspect that the team time trial and the individual time trial are not uh as uh, not as many people watch them um it was i'm not sure i'm pronouncing this right but the nims to nims day um i skipped mm. most of it i just sort of watched who won because uh, no one was going to suffer you know so um, you also have the basic problem of time differences though, of course you oh I mean, yeah you're watching this in the morning, aren't yeah, you? So you the, 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 the net, network TVs must, must struggle with with broadcasting this in the morning. Well, the, you can get up early. Uh, it's usually 4.30, 5.30, or sometimes 6 in the a.m. The, you can watch it's 50 to 60% of the race, and you see it mm. somewhat unfiltered uh, with, with the broadcasters making tons of mistakes. It's, it's more of a comedy show as much as anything else first thing <laughs> in the morning. And then by time the 10 o'clock or the 1 o'clock show comes around, it's cleaned up, it's shortened, and it's just the highlights. Um, And so um, you get get a kick out of that. So they they do make it for an American American audience. Um, All the commentators, except Phil Liggett now, are Americans. Um, And... and, uh, I, I mean, they, they know their audience. NBC Sports has finally, I think, figured out a lot better how um, the American audiences want to watch uh, TV. And so we we get the last 15 minutes of every hill climb, and we get the last, you know, 
15 minutes of every sprint finish and the rest of it they just talk and it's commentary and they they break away to the commentators doing some visual thing or having a conversation um so so we don't and jim this today's final stage is is perfect timing for the u.s so it's nine nine o'clock uh french time is when it kicks off and that's perfect for you watching it in the u.s almost designed for watching in the u.s I don't know anybody watching it here in the U.S. today. The final stage, <laughs> nobody watches here in the U.S. The race is done. We're done. We went home. <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, I understand there's going to be a sprint. I want to see the sprint, uh, but but the race is done. <laughs> it, it's funny. Sorry, uh, Jim. I was going to say it's funny you um you say that about the packaging because I watch a lot of American sport, but I live in the UK, so. Time differences mean if I want to watch an American football game, it's either starting at sort of nine, ten o'clock at night here if it's on the East Coast, or mm. one o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning if it's on the West Coast. Yep. And even though I'm a massive fan, I won't stay up and watch it. But I, what I will do is I will record the hour-long highlight show that in packages mm. the highlight, best highlights of every game that have been played out that evening, and has a lot of commentary and a lot of sort of analysis rather than recording a whole game. And yeah. I think the issue is is that you're never going to have live cycling to watch in America because of that time difference. In the same way, I'm never going to have live American football to watch because I'll be a bed. So you need to mm. package it in a way that's going to make people come back to it without just checking the result online or on, you know, BBC I'm, I, or I'm guessing the viewer figures I'm guessing the viewing figures in Colombia have gone up. Oh. <laughs> We've been getting ads here in the United States uh, advertising the fact that Colombia is the is a great cycling country right now. I mean, they've mm. been showing up on TV and in magazines prior to the tour, and I suspect that this is going to put millions into the economy of Colombia. Um, I mean, it's just yeah, I suspect the whole city is just dancing in the streets to you know, and will be for the next couple. Well, of he will be. I mean, uh, Quintana. Uh, is a national A-list celebrity in Colombia, and he hasn't won the Tour de France. So, you know, Bernal winning the Tour de France, he he just that catapults him straight into will never be forgotten ever in in Colombia. He's now yeah. a major major personality, and as we said at the the, the start of the show, he's twenty two. Yeah. So he's a big star in Colombia right now. Yeah, you know, it, it, there is a. a a lot of frustration here in the U.S. about the race because it's so hard for, for most Americans to understand, um, uh, which is sort of interesting in the fact that here in the United States, most of our sports figures are in their 20s, the exception being quarterbacks in our football teams who are allowed to be in their 30s. Uh, and so people don't, still haven't understood the fact that 22 is a really young age you know, for someone to win the Tour yeah. of France. For this kind of endurance sport, yeah. you normally be at least 25 before you even start thinking yeah. about even entering the Tour, never mind winning the damn thing. You know, and, yet, and so right now we have all these stories about the, uh, the, the 20, 21, 22-year-olds going out to playing football and how many of them are going to be on the front lines, you know, starting uh, for their team members. Um, and a lot of them will, not all, but a lot of them will. So it's, it's another confusing thing. What do you mean a 30-year-old, you know? Because the other thing we don't get here is we don't have their ages. 
uh, I think I only heard one of our commentators once. They say he's the youngest person or the youngest of this, but they never say, um, you know, he was 22. I had to look up his age mm. because they kept saying he's just young. And so I looked up his age online to find out how old he actually was. I was just thinking this the other day. It won't be that long before we have a winner of the Tour de France who wasn't even born in the 20th century. So oh. somebody who is a 21st century born athlete. Well, we already have in the next uh, couple of years. We already have a rider in the World Tour who was born post 2000 in Remco of Annapol. Um, mm-hmm. That hurts. He's probably a future Tour de France winner himself. Mm. That hurts because mm. I can remember, you know, when the first American won the Tour de France, watching that sort of, you know. Mm. So we're showing our age here, obviously. Yeah. Now, we have gone over the hour there, so I don't want to go too far over the hour. Just coming to Casper, Casper, because we haven't heard you for a wee while, and I'm hoping you're actually still there because I can see your sound waves. I can see you breathing still. But anyway, so I know you're alive. Casper, are you going to be watching tonight? And if you are, who do you think might win the the, the sprint ceremonial stage? Well, I mean, I'm, it's, it's going to be a boring uh, boring prediction for me, but I would have I would hoped Sagan will, wouldn't he? You reckon? I wouldn't have put him there, but anyway, really? that's, that's, a, that's a valid choice. Tr- well, he's got the green jersey. He doesn't need to do anything, does he? Yeah, but he's not. There's, there's no... See, the Americans love Peter Sagan because he doesn't quit racing. And I think that he's still going to go. I mean, when I didn't even know who Peter Sagan was and he was just starting to come up, the people who follow cycling even more than I do were having their pictures taken with him. Um, when he was over here racing in our in our uh, one race in Denver, uh, a lot of people asked me to take pictures of of themselves standing next to Peter. He was a young kid, but he never stopped trying to win. Um, and and that's what Americans love, you know. Uh, we love the person who, yeah, they got it in the bag, but they still go out and they try and kick butt and get an, an even bigger win. So interesting. Well, you're gonna look. You're gonna look forward to. Uh... Matteo Vanderpoel in the next few years, America yeah, will take you know, warmly to him. Yes, um, his name popped up in our conversations last night. It was quite interesting. Um, hmm. So, Jim, are you predicting or are you just hoping for Sagan? Um, I, I hope. Are you going for pick pick a ride? Are you going for Sagan? Yeah, mainly because I don't know who the rest of the sprinters are here. Again, mountains and and who's going to win the tours. You know, most people don't understand that, that the little pictures up in the top left-hand corner of the screen are the, the jersey winners, where they are in the race at that point in time. They just want to know mm. if the people I, I'm in gonna, are going to win. I, I quite like Sagan to win, but I think uh, Viviani today. That's that's who I'm going to pick. Uh, Joe, who are you going to pick for today? Um, Tonight? I believe because of how the mountain stages were, were shortened over the last few days, I think some of the sprinters are mm. going to have recovered a lot better. Um, mm. And I think it's going to be a straight-up sprint between Grinevegg and uh, Jumbo Visma and Caleb mm. Ewan, who's had an excellent Tour de France um, from Otto Sudal. He has. He's, he's, won, he's two stages, yeah. uh, Ewan's one, hasn't he? So, yeah, yeah, you're right. I think Viviani, I, I love Viviani, but he, he worked incredibly hard for, the, uh, for Alaphilippe in the mountains, um, more, more than anyone else would have expected him to do, and more than sprinters should, should work. So yeah. I feel like he's going to be... because he's a small guy. Yeah. Small, small guys are good. I like small <laughs> guys. No, no reason why I like small guys. Uh, let, let's go around the table, because we have gone over that hour, as I said, and let's just find out where 
uh, we can find each other on on social media. So, Jim, I'm going to go to you first. Tell everybody, even though everybody knows where you are, tell tell everybody where you are. Recreation-law.com, recreation.law at gmail.com, or at recreation-law, one word, Google recreation-law, you'll find me. Okay, and Casper. So uh, rollerpalooza.com, which is R-O-L-L-A-P-A-L-U-Z-A, and uh, at rollerpalooza on Twitter, or at Casper on Twitter. And you stop stop killing cyclists as well. Yeah, that's um, stop killing psych. Uh, is the Twitter account? I think we can all subscribe to that point of view, Casper. I don't think <laughs> that, that's a campaign we can all get behind. And and Joe, where can where can we find you? You can re- read some of my work on cyclist.co.uk. I'll actually be doing the race report today, and uh, there'll be a piece in the morning about Alaphilippe at this tour. And then um, on social media, uh, at Joe P. Robinson uh, is my personal account for all my amusings about cycling. And Joe, we are, we're talking to you. You're in London, yeah? Yes. So yes, do you normally go? Do you normally get a press pass and go to the, the tour? Uh, yeah, I went to the Tour de France this year. I went to the first, uh, to the Grand Depart in Brussels. Mm-hmm. Um, and we went to the madness of it all, the, the long days and the sort of your feet don't touch the ground when you're at the Tour de France but it's amazing and it's uh, one of the true true best things about being a, a cycling journalist is covering something like the Tour de France certainly I completely agree and I am Colton Reed, and I am at uh, I, I agree with Joe there because I've been a few times uh, on the Tour de France embedded behind it's fantastic because it's it's so claustrophobic when you go to Paris and then you have this magical press pass and then you get behind the barriers and then all of a sudden Paris becomes beautiful again because you're just in, in these enclosures, which was absolutely fantastic. Uh, so I am Colton Reed uh, on Twitter, R-E-I-D, and uh, Colton Reed Bike on Instagram, which is mainly dogs. And uh, I write for uh, Forbes.com. So thank you ever so much uh, to Joe, to Casper and to Jim for uh, very much a Tour de France uh, theme. Thanks there to Jim Moss. Joe Robinson and Casper Hughes. Show notes and more can be found at thespokesman.com and that's the with a dash with a hyphen, spokesman.com. Do please leave a review for the show on iTunes, especially since Apple has just deleted a whole load of podcast categories, including the one this show used to be listed under. Check out my article about that on LinkedIn, where I describe how this show and the Cycling Tips podcast got dumped into the wilderness podcast category. Go figure. Uh, Also on that article, I suggest that Apple ought to create a cycling category on iTunes. Wrestling is there. Soccer is there. Plenty of sports are there. But cycling isn't. Nor is it listed in the same space as automotive. I might rant about that again in the next show. Meanwhile, get out there and ride.